Praise God. Uh, sorry I can't be as cute as Nathan and Suji. <laughs> uh, praise God for that wonderful uh, testimony of God's grace in your lives. If you take Harvest 201, your house will sell, you'll get a new home, and you'll get married. <laughs> what a wonderful deal. Um, but praise God for that. Uh, how are you doing? Everyone doing okay? Everyone? Yeah, good. I don't know if you... Uh, feel busy at all these days. I, I know that uh, life can get busy around this time of year, really, really busy. I know uh, some companies have already started doing Christmas parties uh, first weekend, weekend of December. I saw pictures on social media of friends going to this holiday party and that party, and you know, there's constantly things to shop for and family gatherings and family coming in town and all kinds of things make us feel really busy. And that's why we're always in such a hurry, aren't we? Just feeling like life is so hectic sometimes and running around from this to that and this to that. And it even affects my three-year-old daughter, Elise. A few uh, days ago, maybe a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> our family went to eat at um, one of our church members' homes. And um, after dinner, uh, our three kids are uh, eight and five and three, but our three-year-old Elise was playing uh, hide-and-seek with, uh, there was a college uh, young man there. And they're running around playing hide-and-seek, and so Elise was having a grand old time. She was in a really good mood, laughing and giggling and, and playing and uh, following her brother and sister around to their hiding spots and annoying them. And, and so they said, uh, hey, okay, Elise, it's your turn. We're going to go hide without you, and then you come and find us, okay? You're the seeker. We're the hiders. And so she said, okay. <clears throat> she doesn't really know how to play. And so they're saying, all right, here's what you have to do. You're going to count to 100, which you cannot do. You're going to count to 100, and we're going to go hide, and then you go find us. And she said, okay. And this is how she counted. She said, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 100. Ready or not, here I come. And she started looking after them. And they're like, wait, Elise, we're not ready. We're not ready. We're not even hiding yet. We're not ready to go yet. And in her mind, she's like, hurry it up then. I got to go to bed soon. I got people to see, places to go, worlds to conquer. We got to go. We don't have time to waste. And maybe you feel like that also. We're always in such a hurry, aren't we? Life is crazy. Life is busy. We're going from one place to the next. And from one place to the next, and as we've been talking about being generous, one of the places in which God calls generosity to affect our hearts and our lives is in being generous with our time. But how in the world can we be generous with our time when we feel like we don't have any time to spare? Last week, we talked about being generous with our money, but here's the deal, guys. I think most of us would probably say that time, even more so than money, is our most precious commodity. Because if you lose money, if you spend money, if you waste money, if you get rid of money, if money goes, then you can find a way to get money somehow. Even if it's in unethical ways, you can get more money. But time being the precious commodity that it is, once it is gone, it cannot be regained again. So how can you be generous with something that you have such a limited quantity of? We've been talking about generosity. We're talking about not only being generous, okay? That means taking from what you have and giving it to someone else in order that their lives might be enriched and blessed. 
but the kind of generosity we're talking about is a cheerful generosity because that's the kind of generosity that God loves. It says in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, God loves a cheerful giver. It doesn't say God loves a begrudging giver or God loves a hating giver or God loves an arm-twisted giver. It says God loves a cheerful giver. In fact, if we're giving and we're not doing it with that attitude, the attitude which matters more than the amount, then it could be that our giving really isn't all that exciting to God. <clears throat> so how can we joyfully, and again, the word we've talked about, it means literally it's hilarious. How can we be hilarious even in giving of our time? That seems impossible to me, if you ask me. But we're going to see. And today, all your wildest dreams are going to come true as we look in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 <clears throat> through 39. All of your questions about generosity with time ha, will be answered in the next 30 minutes, I hope. But if not, then we can converse later. Uh, Mark chapter 1, it talks about it's a biography, one of the four biographies of Jesus recorded in uh, Scripture. We t uh, look at the life of Jesus, the perfectly generous one. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. <clears throat> Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is God's word. So what does this mean? Okay, what does it mean for us to be generous with our time? In the same way we've looked at what it means to be generous, period, and how the fountain from which that generosity springs is the gospel of God's unending grace. Therefore, the more we plugged into grace and the gospel, then the more we'll be able to be generous, and it never, ever, ever runs dry. Okay, the more we're plugged in. And that generosity is not limited to, but certainly entails being generous with our talents and generous with our thanksgiving and generous with our finances. If you're truly generous, in other words, if you truly understand the gospel, then the fruit of that gospel root is generosity. And one of the places in which this ought to show up then is in our time. We've seen that Jesus is the perfect fulfillment and the perfect embodiment of generosity in all of its various forms. He who was rich beyond measure, says, became poor and gave everything in order that through his life and through him becoming poor, we might truly become rich. Jesus was the one who was generous in his thanksgiving, in giving thanks, not just when he had a lot of reasons to give thanks according to what we see, but he always gave thanks even in the hardest of times and situations. He gave of his life and everything that he had. And again, here we're going to see that Jesus, the perfect description of a truly generous one, generous even in his time. How do we do that? How did he do that? And how can we embrace that kind of generosity? First thing that I want to point out here is that being generous with your time begins with your time with God. Okay, here's the first thing, and for some of us, we can end the sermon right there <clears throat> because you realize, man, I'm not good with my time. 
people ask me to do something, I get all flustered, I get all stressed out, I get all bent out of shape because I don't feel like I've got time. You feel like that? I know if you're a student, you probably feel like that. If you have five classes, I used to feel like this in college and seminary. We used to say to each other, you know what? I feel like that professor of whom I had five of them, five professors, I said each professor acts as if we're the only class that, they're, that we're taking, that their class is the only one we're taking, and they get five classes worth of homework, and so we feel all just maxed out in our time. You feel like that if you're a student? You feel like, man, I've got so much to study. Right, there's not enough time to do anything. I know this is a constant and perpetual complaint of moms. I don't have enough time. Here's what moms always say. I need some me time. Don't we say that a lot? Don't you say that a lot? I just need some me time. I want to get away from these creatures that are running after me and pulling on my shirt sleeves. I just need some me time. Calcon, take me away. Don't we say that? As a dad of elementary school kids, I had no idea that elementary school could be so busy. The number of papers that come home in their take-home folders about this thing and that thing and this class and this opportunity and this shop and, and all of these things, I'm like, man, it just overwhelms me to read these things. And yet here's our reality, guys. In 2017, we are not the first people on planet Earth to be busy. We might think we are, and we might find reasons why we think we are, but the reality is people have been busy since the dawn of time. And if there ever was someone who could but did not complain that my life, everywhere I look, there's someone calling out for me, someone who needs me, someone who is wanting what I have, it would be Jesus. Jesus was probably the busiest person on the planet. And yet, what do we see? If you, look at, if you look at just scan on the pages of your Bible, he calls his disciples, he drives out an evil spirit, he heals many. Right after this passage, there's a man with leprosy, there's a paralytic, and on and on. Jesus' life was constantly spent with all of these people. These people would look at Jesus and say, wow, there's a man who is generous with his time. But how does he do it? One of the things you will realize as you read through the life of Jesus, and I, I love this, I, I say this often, Jesus was always busy, but he was never in a hurry. You never see Jesus running off somewhere. Or, in fact, the times when people did say, Jesus, hurry, he, he just chilled, hung out for a little bit longer, and then he went on his own time. He was busy, but he wasn't hurried. Why? Because being generous with your time, guys, begins with your time with God. And so, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Guys, if you want to be generous with your time, right, and some of you, it's like, gosh, my Sunday school students are, are going through a hard time. Uh, their parents are going through this situation. They just lost their parents. Or my house church members, I've got like 15 of them, and, and I wish I could be there for more for them. And, 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 but why is it that when they call, I get so overwhelmed, and I feel stressed, and I feel like I have nothing to give. I have no time to give to them, and I just feel like this daunting task of ministering to all these people. Can I ask you, how is your time with God. 
Being generous with your time, brothers and sisters, begins with your time with God. And if you want to be generous with others, you begin by being generous in your time with God. You begin to realize that all of a sudden, life gets reoriented and reordered in such ways that we can not only be more productive, but we can be more peaceful as we go through our days. I know what this is like. I know what this is like when I've got people to meet and I don't want to answer my phone. I know what this is like when I've got uh, sermons to write and Bible studies to, to prepare and, 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 and things to do. And times where I'm, um, I'm like racking my brain trying to think of how can, I, how, can I, how can I communicate this to my people in such a way that they get it. And I'm, I'm, I'm straining and I'm, I'm working to try and figure out. And, and I feel this little voice in my spirit say, let's put this aside for a little bit. And let's come and be away in a solitary place with our Father in order that you might be able to be more generous with the time, that precious commodity that you have. And so I sneak away, and I, I can tell you, I cannot tell you how many times an hour with God in prayer yields a treasure house of insight and wisdom and productivity that 10 hours apart from him could not do. Why? Because we're created to be generous in our time with God. You see this, you can, I mean, I could tell you, person after person, biography after biography, you just read Christian biographies. Anyone who was worth anything in the kingdom of God were people who spent generous amounts of time with him. There was a, a Martin Luther, I think, he was one of the, 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 the famous ones. He would say every day, I cannot survive if I don't spend two hours a day with God. And this one uh, particular week, he was like mad busy, like super busy. And his friend said to him, hey, what's your plan for tomorrow? He said, work, work, work from morning until evening, work. And he said, I'm so busy that tomorrow I need to pray three hours before I do anything. He understood if he's going to be generous with his time, then he has to begin by being generous in his time with God. Susanna Wesley, right? you may know the name. She was a mother to John and Charles Wesley, these great Methodist revivalists. She gave birth to 19 kids. Okay, 19 kids. Can you imagine that? That is crazy. And she homeschooled all of them. And so, you know, I, I'm like... Dude, you got, you got three kids, you got four kids, you got five kids. How do you do it? How do you do it with five kids? Imagine 19 kids. Like, that's crazy. He said, I can't do it unless I spend, again, two hours a day with God. No magic number, but that's just the way it is with these people. Two hours a day. And she said when she could not find a quiet place, <laughs> she would flip her apron above her head and sit in a corner, and then her kids would know Mommy is not to be disturbed. That's how she did it. Do you ever wonder? You look at people whose lives are just crazy, and, and it's not like, okay, I know that if you work really, really, really hard and, and, and allocate every minute, then you can do it. I'm not talking about that kind of busy. I'm talking about there's a supernatural sense in which they're able to do so much more than anybody else can do. You ask these two people, and they'll say, well, it's because we're generous with God. 
let me, I'm going I'm to get to a point here that you have probably heard me say often. But a few, uh, I would say in the summertime, in July, um, Elijah, our five-year-old Manny, her, our eight-year-old and, and Manny's eight-year-old friend, uh, they're playing a little game. It's called Spot It. It's kind of like this hyper uh, fast-paced memory game where you, you, everyone has a card and you're trying to see uh, there's a bunch of different items on the card and when you see an item on your card that's on the, the base card, then you take that card. Elijah was, uh, he was young, and he's still young, but he was only five and these eight-year-old girls were dominating him at it. They're like ice cream cone, waffle, pretzel, right, all these things, and, uh, and his little brain just couldn't handle it, and so he got frustrated, and what does our frustrated five-year-old do? He starts crying, he throws the cards, and he says, you are so mean, I'm not playing with you, and so he stormed off. His girl, his sister, and her sister's friend got upset, said, that's a poor, sore loser, what a bad sport, and so they said, let's go, and they went off into a room, and Elijah was inconsolable for some time, and I said, Elijah, come here, listen to me. Do you want to beat your sister and her friend that spotted? He said, yes. Elijah, on my phone, I can download a Spot It game app, okay? We won't tell Manny about it, okay? But we'll download it, and you can go into a room, and you can play Spot It so that the next time you get uh, to play with them, you will beat them. And he got really excited. He wiped away his tears. He said, Daddy, can we play right now? And so he got it, and he started playing Spotted. They haven't played yet, but the sisters are in for a rude awakening the next time they play <laughs> Spotted. Elijah's going to be killing him. He's going to be like, pizza, fry. I don't know why it's all food. Maybe I'm hungry. Maybe you're hungry. But he's going to be, like, dominating all these people. And then Manny and her friend are going to get so upset. They're going to say, what, what happened? What, how could you do this? And Elijah will tell him what daddy always tells him. Elijah, the secret to life is life in secret. What nobody else sees is going to be the secret to your success. And so it is with the people of God. You want to be generous with your time? The secret to life is not what everybody sees you doing. It's when you wake up early in the morning, or whether it's, not, whether it's early in the morning or not, just you going to your secret place, a solitary place when no one else is looking, and you spend time with God. And then you come out of that place, and you enter into the world, and people are like, how do you do that? And you'll wink at them. And you'll say, God knows, <laughs> whatever it is that you say. But the secret to life, that's it. You want to be generous in your time with other people. It starts by being generous in your time with God. That's the first thing we see. Second thing, second thing, you want to be generous with your time, you need to learn when to say yes and learn when to say no. Okay, so here's Jesus. All of these things that he's doing, he gets up and he finishes praying. In verse 36, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. It's game time, Jesus. That's what they're saying. But what was Jesus doing? And why do we need this time to be apart from Everyone else. When Jesus was going and spending time with God, it's like, he's a, he's a, it's like a basketball team, and they call timeout. Okay, why do they call timeout? Twofold purpose, if you ever played sports. One is ah, to catch your breath. You need to rest. You need to get off that 
human hamster wheel, that treadmill that keeps you running round and round. You need to get away from that or else you're going to have nothing to offer to people. You got to call time out and you got to get with your coach and sit on the bench and rest. But the other reason he called time out, the other reason we called time out is so that you can get with the coach and you can know what the play is. You got 10 seconds left on the clock. There's a million different plays that you can run, a million things that you can do, but you're asking, what am I supposed to do? You tell me what to do because you know better than I do the game plan and how we can be successful in doing this. And so when Jesus was withdrawing, he knew that as soon as he comes back from that place, there's going to be a thousand people mobbing him, saying, Jesus, I need this, I need that, I need this. And the cool thing about Jesus, man, he wasn't, he wasn't a slave to what everybody else wanted him to do. I mean, imagine that, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. What do you think Jesus would do if you're generous with your time? Okay, show me where they are. Show me where they are. But Jesus shows us that being generous with our time is not about giving every second of your life away to other people. That's not what it is to be generous. In the same way, that's not what it means to be generous with your money. You don't give everything away. That would be foolish, and that would be detrimental to your life. And so it would be with your time as well. They say, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Here's what he says in verse 36, uh, 38. Jesus replied, all right, cool. Let's go somewhere else. What in the world? Imagine if, like, Superman, this happened to Superman. So Superman's, like, busy saving Metropolis and fighting fires and X-ray visioning through bad guys' hearts and seeing the evil within and all this stuff. And so he needs a break. And so he flies away and he spends some time on an island with his friends like Batman and Robin and Flash Gordon and Wonder Woman. They're all hanging out. And so Superman decides it's time to come back. So he comes back, right? And um, I don't know who else is in Superman, um, but someone uh, says to him, Superman! Everyone is looking for you. Metropolis needs you. And if you're reading the story, okay, uh, they exclaimed, Superman, everyone is looking for you. Superman replied, let's go to Gotham City instead. That's crazy. Like, that doesn't make any sense. But that's what Jesus did. Here's what he's saying. Being generous with your time doesn't mean that you become a slave to what everybody else wants you to do. Being generous with your time means knowing when to say yes and when to say no. It's one of the biggest things that you'll learn in life. I remember there was a young man, college student, who wanted to date this girl. And he said to me, hey, pastor, can we, can we talk about me dating this girl? And so we talked about it and talked about it and um, asked him a bunch of questions. And at the end, I said, hey, you know what? I think you need some time because here's your biggest struggle. You don't know how to say no to people. You only say yes to people, and that's why you've got C's on your report card when you're much smarter than that. Okay? You need to learn how to say no or else it's going to ruin your relationship. Okay? You learn how to say yes and how to say no in six months. Right? We do this homework, and then you come back and you talk, and we'll see if you're ready. Because one of the points of maturation is understanding when to say yes and when to say no. Because here's your reality. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to a thousand other things. That's why, sisters, it's so hard for us to decide sometimes at a restaurant what we're going to eat. Because you know that if you say yes to something, by the time you realize this is no good, your, your stomach's going to be too full to eat something else. Every yes is a thousand no's, and this is the better part of maturity, is understanding what you say yes to and what you say no to. Because when we grow up 
as when you're a baby. Okay, when you're a baby, you're really good at saying no. This is your default because you understand boundaries. Some things are yours, some things are not, and you, you, you know what you like. So you say no to vegetables. You say no to naps. You say no to strangers. You say no to whatever it is that you say no to. But as you get older, and maybe this is good, maybe this is bad. It's probably a mixture of both. But as you get older, you begin to realize, you know what? People like me better when I say yes. When I say yes, I'll play with you. Yes, I'll share with you. Yes, I'll give you candy. Yes, I'll listen to you. Yes, I'll pretend like you're the teacher and I'm the student. And when we say yes to people, and we begin to think, oh, you know what? People like me a little bit better. And then something sinful begins to happen. We begin to lose that wisdom or never had it in the first place. But we don't know when to say yes and when to say no. Can I ask you, what's the bigger issue for you? Someone asks you to do something, to help them. Hey, can you come to church and, and do this? Or, hey, my car is, it has a flat tire. Or, hey, can you uh, meet up because I'm going through a hard time? Is your bigger challenge, is your challenge, oh, I, I don't want to say yes to them. I don't want to say yes. I don't want to make time for that. Is your bigger struggle the ability to say yes? Or is your challenge the inability to say no? Like, I, I just, whatever they want, I do. I've got to study. My friends want to hang out. All right, I'm going to go hang out. My kids want me to buy this for them. I know I shouldn't because I don't have any money for food, but I'm going to buy it for them anyways because I think they're going to be upset at me. Hey, what's your bigger struggle? Is it saying yes or saying no? Because we'll never be generous with our time unless we're able to understand the difference between what deserves a yes and what deserves a no. And can I tell you something? Here's what Jesus understands. Why did he say no? Why did he say let's go somewhere else? He said, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Jesus understood why he was on planet Earth. He knew his mission and he knew what was important and he said yes to that which was important so he could say no to the things that weren't important. And I think... A lot of our problem is that we're saying yes to things that are not important and no to the things that are. And so we dominate at video games. Yeah. But we have no spiritual treasure in heaven because we're saying yes to the wrong things. We dominate at things that we know at the end of the day aren't going to matter. And we stand our ladders up against a wall of things of uselessness that on the final judgment will mean nothing for eternity. The difference in Jesus' mind was he said yes to that which is important and he rejected that which was simply urgent. Charles Hummel writes this great little piece called The Tyranny of the Urgent. The challenge for our lives in this busy, busy world, in this hurry, fast-paced, driven world is we often say yes to the urgent and we say no to the important. What does that mean? Uh, let me illustrate. You're driving. You are driving. Not sitting in the passenger seat. You are driving and a text message comes. I know I have been guilty of this. I look at my phone like, hey, can you answer this question for me? What color sweater do you like because I want to buy it for you for Christmas? That message comes to me, that's urgent, right? It comes and it, it seems like it demands an answer. 
But is it really important? First, is it important what color it is? Second of all, is it important that I get this done in the next 30 seconds? Why do we text and drive? Because we are slaves of the urgent and we forget that which is important. What's important? It's my life and the lives of the five people who are sitting inside of my car. That's what's important. Oh, but so often we're slaves to the urgent. I've got house church meeting tonight, but oh, tonight is the premiere of Star Wars. Oh, so I'm going to skip out on house church because I got to prove to everybody that I'm the coolest Star Wars nerd out there. That's real cool. That makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, think about it. I know it's, I, I'm, I'm making it sound uh, tongue-in-cheek, obviously, and maybe some of you are offended by that. But that's okay. Think about it, right? Oh, I can't go to church on Sunday because I, I've got to watch that, that, that show or the opening ceremony of the Winter Olympics or something like that. And we forget that we're in the 21st century where there's this invention called the DVR that allows us to be able to replay things because we're so fixated on the things that are urgent and we forget about the things that are truly important. You want to be generous with your time, guys. You have to, I have to understand the things that are important versus the things that are urgent. And sometimes the things that are important end up being urgent things that you need to tend to. But we have to understand that if we want to be generous with our time, right? Jesus understood what to say yes to and what to say no to. That's the second thing. Last thing. Live today in light of that day. Not just live today, but live today and every day in light of that day. What does that mean? A um, couple weeks ago, I was uh, hanging out in our, uh, in our bathroom with Elijah. Not in the toilet room, but in the bathroom where their sinks are. Um, we're just doing guy stuff, just kind of chopping it up, talking. And I was trimming my beard a little bit. And Elijah said, Daddy, you should just cut it all off. I said, Elijah, go to time. I'm just kidding. I said, <laughs> I said, Elijah, why? Why do you want me to cut it off? He said, because it's becoming white. I said, Elijah, <laughs> I said, Elijah, do you not like the white part? And he said, Daddy, it's getting white because it means you're getting old. And I said, Elijah, how do you feel about that? He said, this was like shocking to me. He said, Daddy, when you get old, it means you're almost going to die. That's what he said. I said, Elijah, does that make you sad? And he said, Daddy, if you die, who's going to be the leader of our family then? <laughs> and, and so I dropped some gospel bomb on him, and I said, Elijah, my son, my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. You will always have a father. And I just went on in this field. But it was a sobering moment for me because there will come a day that we sang about. On that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come. On that day, what's going to matter to you and to me? There are not many things that can clarify and re-clarify your values 
than when your son thinks about your pending demise. <laughs> and what does that look like for you and for me? Because we know as a congregation that sometimes that comes a lot sooner than we expect and a lot sooner than we want and a lot sooner than we would anticipate. So what matters then? That's what Jesus is saying. Live today and every day in light of that day. Because on that day, the fact that you got the high score on Mario Kart, that's going to mean nothing. Are you kidding me? On that day, how many books you had in your library, how many dollars you had in your bank account, none of that stuff is going to matter. On that day, what's going to matter? He's saying, think about that day and live today in light of that. Because on that day, you're going to realize the things that really were important and that really are important. And there will be a clarification of every day that you live life. And you'll look at the things that you did and the way that you spent your time and you'll realize that this was eternity winning and this was going to be burned up in the flames worth nothing at the end of it all. What matters when you get to that place? Because Jesus, you see, knew exactly why he was there. He said, this is why, that is why I have come. And so he went throughout Galilee doing the very thing that he was meant to do because every day of his life was lived with a laser focus on that day when he would hang on a cross for the sins of the world, yours and mine included, and he would say, it is finished. What's finished? His life? No, that's not why Jesus cried this triumphant cry of, it's done. His mission was finished. The singular reason for which he was born, he finished that mission. And he saw through eyes of faith and through eyes of time eternal, the lives that would be impacted eternally because of the accomplishment of his mission in this lifetime. And every day that Jesus lived was lived in light of that day. So what matters in life? When you realize what really matters, then you will know what you can be generous with your time for. If not, we get distracted by the multitude of things that call out for our attention. Little Elijah just finished his baseball season last week, and he tells us that he loved it, and he wants to play again. But when you watch him play, I'm not too sure that he really means that. It's one thing when he bats, and he's, you know, kind of silly at bat, but when he's in the field especially, it's very painful to watch. I, I, I played baseball for, uh, for many years, and as a batter, the one thing they tell you is you've got to keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Why? Because the ball is the most important thing. Not only that, if you're in the field, you watch. You don't look at the batter. What are you looking at? You're looking at the pitcher from the time the ball is in the pitcher's hand to the time it's thrown. Wherever the ball goes, you're keeping your eye on the ball. And so Elijah's in the field the infield because they're all five years old and no one can really hit. They're all in the infield grass and coach says, get in position, kids. And so some of them put their hands on their knees ready. Others of them hit their glove a couple times and they're in their position. 
looking at the ball as it's being thrown. But Elijah, not Elijah. Elijah is doing a million other things. So Olivia is, she, you know, LeVar Ball, the crazy dad that's, come on, yeah, and yelling and all that. That's, that's Olive with Elijah. Elijah, stand up, Elijah. Don't sit on the grass. Stand up. That's what he's doing. He's sitting down. Elijah, turn around. Turn around. Elijah's looking at the soccer game in the field behind him. Elijah, turn around. Elijah, take your hand out of your pants. What are you doing? He got his hand in his pants. Elijah, look down. Stop looking at the sky and pointing at the cloud. We don't know who he's talking. We don't know what he's doing. He's like throwing his glove. Elijah, put your glove on your hand, on your left hand. He's like throwing. He doesn't know what he's doing. Elijah, stop pulling up grass from the infield. He's doing all these other things because he doesn't realize the things that are important, and he's distracted by the million other things. Do you know what's important in your life? Because if you don't, your time is going to be distracted by all of these things that don't matter. And one day, the ball is going to hit you on the head, and you're going to realize, wow, I've missed out on the one thing that really mattered. On that day, what matters? Jesus matters. Heaven matters. Eternity matters. People matter. The church matters. The word of God matters. These are the only things that are eternal. Our money doesn't matter. In fact, our money, man, we're living in times where everybody's telling us to invest in gold, right? Buy gold. Yeah, money's going to go down the tubes. You try to take gold with you to heaven, you know what they're going to say? Huh, why did you bring pavement to heaven? The greatest thing on earth that you think, that I think are hev- is great here, is going to be stepped on in heaven. What matters? Think about what really matters and give yourselves generously to those things. The old poet said, it's only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Let's pray. Uh, Maybe some of us, you know, a lot of times, guys, it always goes back to this. When we pray, a lot of times, the application and prayer response always goes back to, hey, I just need to commit to spending time with God. That's the fountain, guys. Apart from me, Jesus says, you will do nothing. You know it, you know it, you hear it all the time, but do you do it? Do you live it? You'll never be blessed simply by knowing you're blessed by living and obeying. So are you, child of God, spending time with him? You want to be generous in your time with others, you got to start there. Maybe for others of us, you're spending time with God really well but you have such a difficult time distinguishing between what's important and what's urgent. Such a hard time distinguishing between saying yes in this situation versus saying no in this situation. Maybe you haven't thought so much about the end on that day. I think it was Martin Luther. He said, there's only two days on my calendar, today and that day. And every day I live in light of that day. He's talking about judgment day when he stands before God and gives an account of his life. For some of us, let's take a moment to 
Look at the gospel. Think about the gospel again. Repentance and faith. This is what it means. Christian life is all about repentance, turning away from our sin, our idols, the things that we trust in. Turn away from that, acknowledging that is wrong, and turning towards Jesus in faith. That's all it is. That's what this life is about. It's believing the good news again, rejecting the false news of this world, believing the good news of who God is, rejecting the, oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they said you're like, rejecting those false narratives for the sake of the true story of a good father who loves us and gave his son Christmas that we might have life. Let's pray. Let's respond to God's word for just a minute or two. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, hey, that's okay. If you want to know more about him, then just say, God, show me that you're here and show me that you're real. If you've been here and you've, you, know, you want to put your trust in Jesus Christ today, you can do that. God, I'm a sinner. I've messed up my life. I believe you, Jesus, died for me, and I need you in my life. The one who took my place and gives me hope and gives me life. Let's pray together for a minute, and then I'll close this part of our time in prayer, and we're going to continue to worship as we offer our lives, symbolized through the offering of our gifts to him. Let's pray together for a few moments. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that the God to whom we pray is the one of whom we sing. Age to age he stands and time is in his hands. Our lives are in your hands and you've granted us breath of life to use the days of our lives which pass so quickly by use them for your glory generously, hilariously giving away our time so that the things which are really eternal would be our investment people the word of God your church may those important things be what we give our lives to today and every day until that day when you call us to stand before you, to give a reckoning of our lives. That day, may we hear, because of how we spent what you gave us, may we hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We love you, Jesus, because you've loved us first. In Jesus' name we pray.